0: So who needs Jesus when you can have assurance that you're good with God? By following all the rules, right? Welcome to episode 89 of the Untangled Faith Podcast. I'm back from vacation, and I have a cold. (laughs) And I use the word vacation very lightly. And my new friend Christy Wood joins me today to talk about how having a real encounter with Jesus sustained her while so many revered leaders in her faith community were imploding. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Amy Fritz, and you're listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all that is not good or true, this is the place for you. Hello, friends. I have missed you. Over the last month, I thought I would relax, but that's not exactly what happened. Our family had two family reunions, two weekends in a row. I started doing some contract work for the Christian Podcasters Association, and we've been getting ready to send our oldest to college next week. And now July is over, and I kind of missed my chance to rest. And as you can hear from my voice, I have a cold. At some point, I'll figure this rest thing out, but I am really glad to be back The last episodes that I shared before taking a break focused on the Amazon docu-series Shiny Happy People. And I have been able to listen in on some amazing conversations that were inspired by having this in the news. And today's episode is an extension of these conversations. The previous episodes focused on what it was like to be in the Gothard IBLP system. But this episode is a conversation about leaving behind the trappings of legalism, Pull up a chair. my new friend Christy Wood and I have a great discussion about leaving legalism and finding Jesus. Christy, I am thrilled to have you on the Untangled Fate podcast. I really enjoyed your book, I enjoyed hearing your story. And what's so interesting, I, you probably could not have timed the sharing of your story with the Shiny Happy People docu series that has become like one of the biggest things that Amazon has ever done. But I suppose it makes it easier just to, sh- to explain to people like, oh, if you aren't sure about my background, have you seen this?
1: <laughs> That's oh, how the Duggers have been for me my whole entire like life. As I've been trying to explain my story to people, I've always been like, like the Duggars. And they're like, oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. There's a Venn overlap, a Venn diagram overlap of your situation with being connected with IBLP. Did you do the homeschool program? or did Oh, you yeah. Just... For 10 years. Okay. All right. <laughs> so something must have happened in your life from doing the homeschool program for 10 years to writing a book about being a rebel, which is really anathema in the IBLP world. So tell us
1: as much or as little of your story as you want to share. Oh, man. So yes, I did spend most of the 90s into the early 2000s in Bill Gothard's IBLTP program. And I went to a cultic church where everybody there was part of the IBLP program. And so it was very much a part of my life. My family itself was a bit of a rebel family. My dad was actually a public school teacher the whole time, which just doesn't make any sense. And you're kind of like, what are you living in? But because of that, I had one foot in the real world a little bit throughout the whole thing. And so we never got completely sucked into all of the Gothard stuff, but it was definitely a part of my life. The religious aspects were part of my life. The rules, the formulas, all of that stuff was a part of my life. And yeah, what happened? I met Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Not when looking for him, I was the good girl following the rules. You thought you had already found Jesus. I don't think I even cared. Okay. Honest. Like it was one of those, I'm just doing the right thing. And God is I believe in God. I'm believing the Bible. I'm following the rules kind of a thing. It never really occurred to me that he was like real. He was just the name on a page of an old book when he was just a concept. He was an idea that I believed in. And I didn't remember a time when I didn't believe in him, kind of a thing. But yeah, he became real when I was 15. And that changed everything. That changed absolutely everything. And I think that meeting him like that in such a real way is why I'm still a Christian after everything that we've been through. that's it. I just interviewed
0: Karen Swallow Pryor, who is an absolute genius. And she's talking, she has a book coming out about the evangelical imagination. And just the argument there is like how much we have been shaped. Our faith has been shaped. The way we live, our faith has been shaped by culture. And the culture of IBLP has really got its tentacles all over American evangelicalism. And we don't always realize that. She quoted somebody who had given this famous speech, a commencement speech, talking about he he shared this little story about this older fish swam by this. The little fish was like, hey, how's the water? And that fish, the older fish swims away and the younger fish looks at the other ones like, what the hell is water? (laughs) You don't even know you're in it. It's because it's just so natural to you. So that is fascinating to me that you say it was finding Jesus.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. Opened up your eyes. At 15, I was doing my good girl thing. I was actually praying a list of God's names back to him. So like his Hebrew names and just like this whole thing of like who he was, praying it back to him. Like I was supposed to, it was a homeschool program. It was actually like an assignment from IBLP. You're praying this list of names. And so I was doing it and just suddenly realized that there was an unexplicable presence there with me in the room. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. And I was not looking for it. I was not looking for him, but he was looking for me. Yeah. And just finding him like that, I was like, okay, if God's real, like a real person, I want to know him. Yeah. And so it was pursuing that in my prayer time, in my scripture reading by myself, like actually in context, not like IVLP does it or other <laughs> religious Christianity does it. And that's just, that's what turned me into rebel. It was like this Jesus that I know is not the same Jesus that they're telling me about. Yeah. Like they don't line up. And so, yeah, that's what it is. You talk
0: about a point in your like young adult life, and mm-hmm. you're you're still a young adult. I'd say
1: you're. You. I think I look younger than I really am. We're gonna
0: just own that right now. We're <laughs> gonna name it and claim it right now. That there came a point for you when you realized, oh my goodness, that wasn't just a little weird. Yeah, this was like a cult and discovering the harm that it did. I mean, you knew how it sort of messed up your view of theology, but finding the Facebook group of people that had been really hurt by the Gothard way and actually being at headquarters and all the things involved in that, Mm -hmm. like what was that experience like for you to grapple with? This wasn't just a little weird. This was like really
1: bad. It's funny because I had been telling my family for years that it was a cult. I had been telling them for years that Gothard was crazy, that he was wrong, that he was bad. I had an interaction with him probably early 20s where I'd actually met him face-to-face for the first time. And I was already a little rebellious in my heart. And so I kept, I was like, he always talks about like your bright, shiny eyes and eyes are the window of the soul. I'm going to look into his eyes and find out what I see. I was not the kind of girl he wanted to be with at headquarters. I was like... (laughs) And so I remember doing that, like just giving him like a real look as I took his hand and said, hi. And just feeling like, this is just darkness in here. Yeah. And that was really, so something I've already been talking about. This is Rob, but no one ever believed me. And my parents were like, you need to just relax and not be so judgmental and stuff like that. And I was like, no. And so I think really discovering that other people also thought it was a cult and really discovering recoveringgrace.com. Was huge for me because it had all the stories of the people who had been at the headquarters or at the different training centers and stuff like that. And just seeing that, I was like, "Oh yeah, I, like I was right. Like this is really bad. This is really bad." And it was weird because I'd never really talked about that. I'd never really dealt with it. I just closed the door and moved on to try to be normal, try to engage in the <laughs> normal world. And so, actually dealing with that was very strange. It was very hard, and just a lot of stuff I had to actually talk about. And this was probably like ten years ago. And so I'm finally dealing with it for the first time 10 years ago and just really wrestling with how much it was affecting my marriage and my kids and just my view of God and how many things I thought I had moved past. And yet they were still there. Like the tentacles were just entwined still. And it was a lot. It was a lot. And not everybody wanted to hear the stories.
0: Yeah. Not everybody wanted to know. Social media didn't exist like it exists now. Facebook was newish around that time. And it was just a really concentrated pockets of conversation happening, like in in one or two places. It wasn't anywhere. And I also understand, like, it was hard for our parents to hear and reckon with the idea that something that they had chosen, even if they weren't wholeheartedly endorsing everything, was harmful. And man, I have empathy for the parents, but I have so much respect for the ones that have said, it's hard to hear, but I know I would do something different. I would do, I would make a different decision today. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. And that's I where did, my parents are now. Like
0: took, I had done something. Different. It took
1: 10 years to get them to that place. Cause at first they were really like just very resistant to me talking about it. Even when I am starting to blog about it, yeah, like very resistant, but they've really come to the place where they're recognizing like that was wrong. That was bad. And now that my book is out and I'm actually just talking about it my mom told me just the other day, She's, I really just was struggling. Why would God have let us get into this in the first place? She's like, I prayed about it. I yeah. prayed about getting into it. And you know, he let us get into it. And so how do I reconcile that with the fact that now I know about it. And it really was this terrible situation, terrible thing, terrible things were happening. It's so twisted. And I'm, we're telling her just, it's okay, mom. Like that's part of the story. It's part of my story. Now I can yeah. share this with other people. You know, we can't, always understand what God's doing and why he allows things, but like, it's okay. It's okay.
0: So in talking with different people, their ability to reckon with things and find different levels of healing really does seem connected in some ways to how now I'm not blaming parents, but it does feel like there is a real difference in those that are able to like find, Mm -hmm. make sense of it more and to find more healing. Yes. And be less likely to ditch everything when the parents are at least willing to entertain the conversation. Yeah. The and I think, think it's really also any conversation. I think it's really hard. It's harder for those, especially as you're growing into adulthood and you're like, I have some questions about this.
1: And I think yeah. it's I think it's a different kind of parent. Like what I've noticed with the IDLP stuff and even just I don't think it's just Gothic. There is so much yeah. just religious Christianity out there that's it's, it's hard to blame gothic for everything. But I think when you have parents who are somewhat healthy and are trying their best and are trying to build relationships, like a whole different scenario than when you have somebody who is mentally ill and who is just sucked into this and using this as an excuse for their behaviors, as an excuse for the things that they're doing, and they're already a broken person who's really struggling. And so I think that is a difference. And I had parents who, yes, got sucked into a cult, but were healthy. And I think that is partly why I was able to really be able to just deal with this, like you said. Yeah. You've said you had one foot
0: in the real world still mm-hmm. the whole time. So you saw from early on that people that claim to act in the name of Jesus aren't always. People that are leaders, people that people look up to and should be standard bearers, make bad decisions. And so I see in your book something really lovely. And it is this being willing to see the truth of how broken some of this Mm -hmm. is and how that has informed your empathy for people that have feel really like skeptical and guarded about their faith experience. Mm -hmm. I had written down what you said. I think it was even in the introduction. You said, we are disillusioned because we have found a fake substitute. Our cranky hearts are leading us home. So many people are like, why are you cranky? Cranky is bad. Tell me why it's okay. Tell me why you're giving us permission to be cranky. I love it.
1: Uh, You know, I think this is just the core of my heart for people and the core of every message that I share, whether it's in a book or a podcast or a blog or social media, Is I just want so badly for everybody to meet Jesus, like the real Jesus. But we have so twisted him. And we're so good at misrepresenting God and misunderstanding God. And we're so good at being religious as people. Like we want to do the things that make God happy and follow the steps. And I just want people to recognize like the fact that you are disillusioned and the fact that you are cranky probably means you haven't actually met Jesus. And so I would like you to be cranky and I would like you to be less illusion because that God that you found is a fake and it's not real and it's okay to reject him and it's okay to abandon those ideas in the search for a very real God that I just, I can't explain to you like why I know he exists, but I just, I just know. I mean, between the Bible, between my own experiences of him, between just, I mean, yeah, I just, I know he's real and I want everybody to meet him. Like I want everybody to have that reconciliation with the God who made them. And so I want you to be cranky. I'm excited when people tell me like, I think I'm losing my faith. I'm like, good. (laughs) They're like, what? And they're like, no, this is the place where we meet Jesus. This is the place where we actually encounter him when we're willing to say that religious junk is not really God. And I want to find him. Like, he is going to find you. If you're looking for him, you will find him.
0: Yeah. That stood out to me, Christy, is one of the hallmarks of really legalistic faith communities is this a lot of fences up mm-hmm. and a lot of don't go there. It's a yep. slippery slope. Don't ask too many questions. Yep. What would you say to the person that has been told if you ask too many questions? This is dangerous. It's a slippery slope. And I also wonder if maybe people are afraid that it's all just a house of cards. And if they yeah. ask too many questions,
1: they'll realize that there's just nothing left. I think that is a fear. And I think that's an underlying fear of the religious people in those religious systems, even if they're not acknowledging it. Yeah. Is if we start questioning this, people are going to lose their faith. And I'm like, what are they going to lose their faith in? There's this kids movie, like your listeners, you guys should find this movie. I can't remember what it's called, but it's about this Yeti. And it's, this, it's amazing because it's so all about this. But these yetis are living on this mountain. They're not supposed to ask questions. And the stones tell them all the stories of the yetis, and all this kind of stuff. And, and people are fake. But then they find a person and all their things start unraveling. It's such a good story. So go find it. It's about yetis. And the same idea here is if I question, if I doubt, what if everything falls apart? And I think that for me, like I look at the difference between historical creeds of the faith things that people have believed for 2,000 years, things that you're going to find in every denomination, whether it's a higher order denomination, like you're going to find these same cores of the faith throughout the entire thing. And people have been believing these and sticking their lives on them for thousands of years. Those to me are like the things that you can find and hold on to and say, you know what, this must be true. People have been doing this for so long. But then we have all this other junk. And I talk about it in my book with this Lego illustration yes, of deconstruction. And it's like, we have to just take it apart. Like, we have to take it apart because we've added so much junk to the cores of the faith, to God, to Jesus. Our Western understanding of how we read the Bible is just ridiculous. We read it like it was written to us in the 21st century in English, literally, and we take it out of context and we don't understand what it's really talking about. And so there's tons of stuff that we have to take apart. Like, we have to take it apart. And so... I forgot your initial you're question. You're not afraid, though. What you're saying, you're not afraid to ask the book. No. ask the, the, the questions. Ask the, the right. questions. Let the things unravel that need to unravel. And sometimes, I mean, i talk. people tell me, like, what if I become an atheist? And I was like, so what? Become an atheist if you need to. If Jesus is real, he'll find you again. Yeah. And it's like, that's, I mean, to me, it's like, it's okay. Like, if you have to let all of that go, because your understanding of who God is is so, um, you know, just distorted, and you still want to find Jesus and you're still curious about it, like you'll find him again. He's, he's real enough and he's big enough to handle your questions. Yeah.
0: You said that if he's real and he wants to be found, he will be. Yeah, he will be. What's the worst thing that can happen? Exactly. And for some people, that's a, that's a crazy, scary
1: question, but
0: I love how mm -hmm. you aren't afraid. You're not afraid of the word deconstruction.
1: Oh yeah. Like I wrote a whole blog post to people who like basically to parents who are like, it's basically this idea of like when, when someone you love deconstructs their faith because people get so worried about that. And I think so much of the Christian community has misunderstood what deconstruction is. And so you've got like people who are telling you, well, if you deconstruct, you have to land here. And then you've got other like, people saying, well, if you deconstruct, that means you're going to deconvert and you're going to go you know, pass it. No, like you're just taking it apart. Yeah. Like take it apart and then put it back together again. Leave out all the stuff that's extra and put those pieces back together and figure out what it is that I actually believe. And I think the thing that really has encouraged me over the last few years is I've deconstructed and reconstructed yet again, probably four times now. Is will happen again. Yeah, no, not a right. big deal. But the thing that's encouraged me is the things that I'm standing on right now, I now have this huge body of believers that I agree with. And so you're not in this narrow place where you're like, we're right and everybody else is wrong. But like the things I'm holding on to, I now have brothers and sisters across every denomination, across all the countries, across the continents, across, you know. And so it's like we are connected because we believe in Jesus. And like, it's just, it's those few things that we really need to hold on to and everything else can just, who cares if we end up with something that we don't agree on? It doesn't really matter. But yeah, deconstruction, I'm not afraid of deconstruction. I welcome deconstruction. Like, I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's something God's doing. And I think that, He's on the other side of it as we reconstruct as well. Like, I am not afraid of this at all. I think it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. You
0: share in one of your chapters how there was a time where some of these popular books were coming out from people that were really like taking a look at their faith and how their experience in the evangelical world had formed mm-hmm. them. And how initially you were like, what is wrong with these people? Like, I experienced some bad things, I'm fine.
1: Yeah, and that now, was like you had
0: some more real life things happen yeah, that made yeah. you think, okay, I want to listen to what they have to say. Yeah. Tell us about that experience for you. Yeah.
1: So, you know, after I left IBLP and I went to college and I dated and married my opposite husband, and we went to Bible school and we were going to go into ministry. And I thought I had left most of my religious legalistic ideas behind. I was doing really well at being this, you know, normal Christian person. And it was in that season when he was a youth pastor and I was his wife and had two kids and I was, these books came out and I was just like, this is terrible. Like, why are people leaving, leaving their faith? Why are they questioning their faith? But I hadn't really experienced any kind of Christian hurt, trauma, spiritual abuse kind of thing outside of the cult. And so it was like, I could look at the cult and then be like, but yeah, but I'm fine now. And then we went through spiritual abuse and religious trauma at the church that we were pastoring at. And after a year that was like from hell, we ended up being told we had to leave. And it wasn't like we had done anything. It was just a conflict, abusive leadership. It was all the things that you read about, all the stories that you hear about all the time. Right. It's like they have a little checklist of how to do it because it all, everything happened to us. And it was, it was beyond devastating. Like it was the hardest thing I ever been through. Yeah, And it completely broke me. Like, if I didn't know Jesus for myself, I would probably have left my faith. Yeah. You expected better because... the of them.
0: You expected a cult to be a cult. Cult do culty things.
1: Cults will be unhealthy. They will harm. Yes. Uh, and I expected church people to be healthy. Yes. Yeah. And I just, it was so devastating. But in that place of brokenness, I actually read the books. I'd never read them before. I just condemned yeah. them, read them and realized, huh gosh, I get this now. I get why you would want to be done with this. I get why you would walk away from this. And yeah, I mean, that it was the hardest thing that ever happened to me. It was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because I feel like that is what just broke me. It humbled me, made me the gracious person who's yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to judge you because I've, I've been there and Yeah. yeah.
0: And I think that loosens some of those hidden tentacles of legalism that we don't realize are still there. Yeah. Where we're like, oh yeah, I let go of some of these other things, but I assumed that there were other things beyond the creeds that made somebody actually okay. Yep. (laughs) Jesus, right? Yep. Yep. And yeah, I feel more, I feel more comfortable now too, now that life has just felt so much more broken, experienced more of it to be like, I talk about sitting at the literal or metaphorical church potluck. Mm -hmm. I want to sit by that person that's experienced the hard thing because Mm -hmm. they're more likely to not say something stupid. (laughs) They're more likely to understand things are more complicated. Yeah. You think they are. And when you're going through something really hard, I just, that's the person I want to sit next to while they're eating their banana pudding and the whatever other casserole that Mary always brings, I want to sit by them. Yeah, And I too found that like some people that I was sort of afraid to even entertain what they had to say, I was like, you know what? I'm not afraid of what they have to say anymore because the truth stands. The yeah. truth holds up. And I honestly believe in the end. So these people that I have some different theology with that we still agree on some of these like creedal things. We're going to be with Jesus together. I love
1: that you, your heart softened in a way yeah. that made
0: you say, all right, there's something here.
1: There's yeah. Something here. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting because I didn't necessarily agree with them still. At the end of the book, I was like, okay, I still like, I get that, but it was okay because I was able to be like, okay, I hear your story. I hear where you're coming from. I get this. And the potluck thing you're talking about, I think. The people who have been through the hard things, they also know that you don't have to say anything. Yeah. Like you can just sit there and listen to this person share with you and be like, you're not crazy. I gotcha. Yep. And just to have somebody acknowledge you and understand your story, understand your pain, understand your questions. Like it's a beautiful thing to have somebody who can just be like, yep, you're okay. Now for a quick break.
0: Not long ago, I made a decision that changed my life and my relationships I started going to counseling, and I'm so glad I did. If you've been considering getting started with counseling, faithful counseling makes it so easy to get started. I know you don't like talking on the phone, so it's good news that you can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith Podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. It is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. There are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled, fill out a questionnaire, and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. If I would have kept making only the minimum payments on my credit cards, my debt would have taken me 47
1: years to pay off. These are real National Debt Relief customers. I knew I wasn't going to be able to get out of debt by myself. Credit card, medical, or personal loan debt? National Debt Relief negotiates with your creditors to reduce what you owe.
0: National Debt Relief got me out of debt.
1: You could be debt-free in as little as 24 to 48 months. Visit NationalDebtRelief.com to learn more and get started. NationalDebtRelief.com Now back to the show. I think that so much of the mess that we're in right now and so much of this just spiritual abuse and religious trauma is people that do it come from a place of fear. Yeah. Like it's just, it's fear. You said that you've become
0: comfortable with not having the answers. Yeah. That's so fascinating to me because the legalistic world is very much about you must have an answer for everything. Oh, yeah. This is what the answer is. Yep. And there is a specific answer for everything. Even the things you're like, really, is there? Yeah. So tell me about how you, what's it like? how did you come to that point of being comfortable not having the answers? Being broken.
1: <laughs> Real life. <laughs> I was very condemned in the whole church thing that went down. And so I found myself just very... I feel like the woman who was caught in adultery. Not that I was actually caught in adultery, but I feel that same level of shame and condemnation and just being left in the dust and knowing that Jesus like chose to get down there in the dust with me. And like, that was amazing. And so just feeling that just acceptance from him, that love from him, that even in the middle of this thing where everybody else thought I was so wrong, even though I knew I wasn't wrong, that was just I guess that just grace that I never experienced before, the grace of God, the true grace of God. And I started to recognize like it didn't matter if I was right or wrong, if they were right or wrong. And so I think that's where it started. was that place of just brokenness and then recognizing how many of my beliefs have changed over the years and continue to change. Yeah. As you explore things, as you explore concepts, and there's some things I've come down to and be like, no, I still don't agree with that. Yeah. That's an interesting thought, but no, I just don't see that in scripture. I don't see it over the arching themes of scripture. I don't want to just take one little piece of this. I want to look at the whole overarching themes and maybe that'll change someday. And yeah. I'm okay with that place of being like, you know, this might change, but for now, this is what I believe. But that doesn't mean I have to hate you or be upset with you because you have a different thing. I can just listen to you and be, okay, okay that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Okay. Well, this is what I think. Okay. And just to read that play through like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Am I right or am I wrong about this? I don't know. Like, These are my beliefs that I'm holding right now. And I can be confident in those at the same time, recognizing that I might change them next year if there's better evidence.
0: Yeah. I look at my own kids and I think, man, they are not moved by the stereotypical apologetics of the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s. Here are all of the arguments for you about why God exists and Mm -hmm. all the things. And I think part of that is they have seen an inability of some of these same uh, apologists to like really grapple in good faith with science Mm -hmm. or other things. And so I think it will be interesting to see how things move forward. And I think I am erring more on the side also of, I just don't feel like a good argument really ever changed someone's heart anyways. No, Uh, I'm not a good arguer. (laughs) I'm not a good debater. And we have seen such disappointing behavior from some of the highest profile apologists. I think of like Ravi Zacharias. And I wonder, and he was lifted up as one of the most gifted. I know. Apologists. I know. And, I think if we are basing our faith on arguments, I just don't see it going anywhere. I think there should be like rational arguments that oh, are, Oh yeah, good, but I think we get too tied up
1: in it. That is the oh, yeah. thing that's going to hold somebody's faith. Paul talked about that though. When he talked about knowledge puffs up yeah. and love builds up. And so I think it's ugh, the, all these things that we're running into right now, I don't feel like they're any different than humanity has been over the entire, like people are always into the things yeah. that they know, yeah. whether it's genealogies or whether it's your apologetics or whatever it is, you're always into these things that we know and these arguments. And the other day, I just remembered the story about what happened when I was younger and I was probably 21, maybe. So just right on the edge of still being in the cult, but kind of getting out of it, definitely had met Jesus, had this super real relationship with him. And I was going on a ski trip with these people and they were going to pick me up and take me on this ski trip for the weekend and family friends, but they had this extra kid that was coming with them that was a friend of their cousins from out of town. I don't know, but he was in college and I should have been in college, but I wasn't, because I wasn't a cult. And so oh. <laughs> I remember getting in the back of the car with him and he's like, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm a philosophy major. And within a few minutes, he's like, I can convince you that God's not real. And I was like, no, you can't. And he goes, yes, I can. And I was like, no, you can't. We had this awkward, like, thing back and forth. And like he's like, why, why can't I? And I was like, cause I've met him or he just looked at me and was like, oh, like, he didn't really know what to say to that one. But I think that's, you know, and you can have your beliefs and why you have those beliefs, but I think the heart of it comes back to just our hearts as people. Like we, we need Jesus. Like we need God. We need that relationship that we were created to be in to be restored into so that we can be restored to the person that he created us to be. And so I think that's just at the heart of everything. And that's what we need. We need that life-changing, actual living relationship with God, which is possible. And an acknowledgement that it isn't just a
0: rational argument. No. And yep. I think that sounds <laughs> ridiculous to some people, but if we're going to be intellectually honest, we can't just say at some point, I can't really totally argue away all of people's argument, you know, questions Uh, and it's okay. We Mm thought some of this is faith. And if somebody isn't okay with that, it's all right. right. If we're feel secure in our attachment to Jesus, it should not be shaken by other people, like not following the rules or, or if we don't have the right words to say, I think it just created a really, insecure Mm relationship, a faith relationship, when everything was based on having to do all the things and know all the things. Because in the end, then it's really about what we do. It's not about work. Jesus' work isn't enough. We have to do all the other things. So tell me about how this has informed your parenting. Like, (laughs) you have to think, I love Jesus. I want to raise my kids to understand, like, not get in the way of who the real Jesus is and step away from the legalism that you... Were given as you were growing up. What's it been like?
1: It's been interesting because I think, if anything, I probably err on the side of not doing enough spiritual formation with them because I don't want it to be about spiritual formation. Yeah. And so it's been a, it's been a journey, but it's been fun to just kind of watch. I shared the gospel with my kids from the time they were tiny. Just the idea of like, she got to have a relationship with us, and we would broke the relationship, but Jesus fixed it for us. You know, kind of a thing, yeah. and just just a very simple gospel, just. Look at what Jesus did for us. Look how much he loves us. And never ask them to pray a prayer or do anything like that. Just share that gospel. It's been fun to watch them. They're 11 and almost 13 now to build their own faith, to build their own relationship with God. And I I do believe that both of them have encountered him in some way and put their faith in him and to the trust in him, whatever that Christianese terminology means. It's so silly. (laughs) And so that's been interesting. I'm definitely like, I want them to have a relationship with God, but I want it to be organic. I want it to be their idea. And so the other day, my son who's 11 came and he said, I don't feel like I'm reading the Bible as much as I'd like to be. And I was like, okay, well, what do you think that should look like? And he said, I don't know. I was like, he said, I have a Bible. Like I said, yeah, you could ha- do you have a journal. Do you have a notebook? You could write some prayers down in or something like that. He said, oh yeah, I could. And so it just, because he was interested in it, I helped him to look, what might that look like? It could look like this if you wanted it to. We just talked about it and you know, if that's something he wants to do, great. If it's something he doesn't want to do, I'm not going to make him do it because I don't want him to think that doing that makes you better with God or, you know, doing that makes you a better Christian. Like if you want to get to know God, go for it. If you don't, that's fine. There's <laughs> one
0: of those things where you say you don't believe in like the prosperity gospel or I don't believe, I don't want to be like in legalism and all these things. And then you have kids and you're like, oh my goodness. Oh, I know. I the things that- I just want a book that tells me. what I want to guarantee that if I do X, Y, Z, ABC will happen. So I can say with my words and know in, in my brain, like, that is not how it works. And I will reassure parents every day, all day that like, hey, it's out of your hands. Like, we'll right. do the best we can. Like, then my own emotions and my own, like, and then I just kind of want to bite a, a pillow in my room and be like, but yep. what if there was could there please be some guarantee because it is oh, scary and it is, hard. is. If I just model it that's all I have to do I mean that I mean I can't force anything
1: yeah I know well and even just like you know with the purity culture that I was raised in it's okay how do I do my How do I do my 13 year old girl as she's getting older like how do I I don't want to go too far to this side and be like no we're gonna let you do it but I also don't want to be like so it's just it's been a challenge and um just the other night we had a conversation she was like I don't want to be like so-and-so. I don't like what they're doing, da-da-da kind of thing. It's just like, but I think I'm kind of like that. And so, but we just talked about, okay, so it's one thing to try to control your behaviors. I said, but I want you to dig dig deep in your heart, ask the Holy Spirit to help you just be like, why am I doing this? Why do I want to be right all the time? Why do I have a hard time being wrong? What is it about that? It's security. feel like you're not good enough. And really just dig in there with him. I said, I don't want you to just try to change your behaviors because that's not where it's at. And so, those kinds of conversations, you know, how do you have those kinds of conversations? I want your heart to be right. And I want you to do the right thing. I know. So it's like, how do you, how do you trust that the Holy Spirit is strong enough to, yeah. and I want to give him the opportunity to do that and not be the person, but it's hard. It's hard, especially because you're like looking back, even just watching shiny head people. I was looking back at my early parenting and my husband and I was like, he's oh, all, that's where that came from. And I was like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Yes, it was. Just, yes, I read the book. Was. Yeah, I, I, I like so. remember reading
0: *Shepherding a Child's Heart* yeah. and telling my mom about it, and she's like, "Are you sure?" Because no. it was like you just keep spanking that kid until they uh-huh. are like happy and thanking you. Oh, that was so awful. So I mean, well-meaning, right? But wrong, right? Right? And oh, I know if we hold that, if we hold things loosely and be like, remember all the well-meaning but wrong things. That have happened in the past. Mm-hmm. There's a likelihood that isn't completely done, and there right. are things that I don't know that I'm going to have to later on be like, I messed that up. Yeah, I think holding things loosely <gasps> is, the, is like the key. Yeah, obviously, Jesus answer to everything Sunday school answer, but like being <sighs> being willing
1: to say I could be wrong. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And and to say that I was wrong. I was I was wrong. Yeah, I guess I'm just. As I've seen that the laws, the legalistic laws that I was a part of that we thought were right, were so wrong and just recognizing like that was never God's intent. So yeah, it has been a journey and I'm probably not done yet. I think it's a good perspective. I'm not done yet.
0: Yeah. And nobody was able to live up to the law. And that's the point of like, we needed Jesus. And I think people that really struggle, a lot of times they have seen people use out of context. Oh, yeah. complicated things and been yeah. like, here's the rule. You cannot yeah. wear leather. Yep, exactly. You can't it's, eat it's... this one thing. You can't yes. wear earrings. You yep. can't like, there was a, there's like a bigger context to the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, when somebody uses it for their own power yes, and they're to yep. wield it in a way that is shameful and to like, give themselves, prop themselves up, it's always going to end up bad. always. And so I, I have empathy for people that are like, I don't want to hear that.
1: Yeah. I want to hear and I, I'm totally fine. Like if people need a break from that. Take a break. No, I'm like, take a break, but I'm also going to encourage them. Don't just write it off. Yeah. If there comes a point in time when you can say, I'm going to revisit this. I'm going to circle back to this. It's been long enough that I can learn a little bit of something like actually dig in from a cultural perspective, learn it from a, somebody who actually knows what they're talking about versus some legalistic person who's taking it, the King James and telling you whatever, whatever it means. Yeah. But if you didn't take a break. Just, I think the thing that the thing I still struggle with, I get it. I understand why, but I do still struggle with the idea of like, I don't get this. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. So I'm just going to throw that out and decide that that God isn't, that's not God. That's not the Bible. That's not, and I'm like, can we just take a minute to try to understand it first before you decide that it's just wrong?
0: Like I was talking with Caitlin Schess recently. She has a book coming out called the ballot in the Bible. How, um, Americans have used and have used scripture in mm-hmm. politics mm-hmm. from the beginning, mm-hmm. and she talked about we should pay attention to those verses that we mm-hmm. tend to want to ignore. Yeah, there's certain things that we're like, oh, I like this one. I'm going to camp here, but like, why are these ones? Why do we feel weird about it? And maybe there's a reason, and, yeah. and to lean into it. And to learn more about it, yep. do more introspection, and it should never end in a feeling of shame, but a feeling yeah. of the Holy Spirit works and transforms us. Yeah, I like that she said there. Even though that feels, like, oh, I got, I can't just like ignore the thing that I don't want to. But we get into all sorts of trouble when we cherry pick. Oh, and yes. I mean that happens in legalism all the time, where yes. you're like, we're never going to talk about Galatians, but we are for sure going to talk about. How if you don't cry out loud enough, then it, you may be at fault for your assault. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So uh, as we as we wrap up, I have some I want you to tell me maybe just a handful of rebellious things that you do now that would be just anathema to your IBLP cohort of oh my gosh. your younger. I, this is where you tell us the secrets. Yeah. No. You terribly know. rebellious you are. Tell me you play cards.
1: So you oh, absolutely. Play. Was that against the rules? I don't not. That wasn't in our like fundamental though, because oh. we played Euchre. We oh. played Euchre back then. Okay. So that wasn't a thing. But I think back to my 16-year-old self, and I'm like, if she could look forward to me, I would be so mortified <laughs> by the, by who I turned into. I have short hair. I have a cartilage piercing. Girl. I'm i only have two children. I'm a working mother. I wear pants. I listen to all kinds of music. I drink alcohol. I, oh, <laughs> the girl. list goes on we will and be on praying for you. and on of all the things that I do. Um, I've learned. to be- I'm noticing
0: the eye trap of dangly earrings. Yeah, oh, yeah. There you go. There's that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I show more than just my collarbones sometimes. <laughs> uh, Women have collarbones. But I think the thing that would make me the most upset is that I have just embraced my strength. I am okay with being a strong woman. I'm okay with being somebody who has leadership skills. I'm okay with talking to men and teaching them and all that kind of stuff. That would probably be one of the most horrible things is that I just no longer trying to keep this under wrap. You know, that I just just embraced that strong personality and said, you know, this is who I am and I have these gifts and I'm gonna go ahead and go for it. And so, yeah, horribly rebellious, horribly rebellious. I like this version. I like this version of Christy. I would have, I I have
0: so much empathy for version (laughs) 1.0, but thank the Lord that he does not leave us at version 1.0.
1: Or even 2.0. I feel like this might be more like 3.0 at this point. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate this conversation. This has been really fun. Thank
1: you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. it.
0: Is your book out in the world already? or it is It
1: is. It you can buy it on Amazon or barnesandnobles.com, walmart.com. Or if you'd like an autographed copy, you can purchase it from my website and I will send it to you autographed. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Awesome.
0: I loved Christy's lack of anxiety over where people land with their faith. I think that's the biggest gift and encouragement from this conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Untangled Faith Podcast. I've saved some of my conversation with Christy to share with the Patreon community. Christy and I keep talking for the Untangled Faith patrons, so if you're a supporter of the show, make sure you don't miss our conversation about dress codes and Christy's relationship with the Old Testament scriptures. You can find that at patreon.com slash Faith the Patreon community is the primary way this podcast is funded. This is a great time to jump in there to provide support for the show and to access some bonus things that I save only for my patrons. You can find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes. You can find those on your podcast app or by going to untangledfaithpodcast.com and clicking on episodes. If you're on social media, I would love to keep this conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm Faith Untangled on Twitter, or whatever it's called these days. The Untangled Faith podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by the support of my Patreon community. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pionik, Phil and Susan Perdue, Pam Forsyth, and Shelley Taylor. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.